Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Rowlandson from LightningInsider.com, along with my co-host, Greg Linelli from Lightning Radio and Lightning Power Play. Make sure you check out him and Dave Mishkin. Noon to one weekdays on Lightning Power Play. You can find that on the iHeart app, as well as the pregame, postgame, and intermission host for all Lightning Radio broadcasts. And Greg, we were talking about it. It's the most wonderful. I will never sing again. It's the most wonderful it's the time most of the year. Wonderful time of the year. <laughs> you know what that actually that makes me good? think about Christmas. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. You might have. A, you might have a. a I might have a future in Christmas. karaoke. Is that what you're saying? You, you might. Yes. No. Um. So what what that makes me think about is remember that Staples commercial at the beginning of the school year, Ooh. where they're shopping for school supplies yes. and parents are singing it's the most wonderful time of the year obviously a christmas song but uh, that's what makes me think of that but it is in terms of hockey it is the most wonderful time of the year because it's the real season it's the second season the playoffs are here we know that the tampa bay lightning will be facing the florida panthers in round one we don't have official dates as of yet but i would expect uh, as we record this on tuesday that by the weekend uh, the series will begin potentially on Sunday, but again, that's not official. We don't know anything on that in particular. And Greg, before we get into the matchup situation and looking ahead to this first ever meeting between Tampa Bay and Florida in the postseason, uh, just to kind of look back at Monday night and, and a pretty special moment when the Lightning started a line that included Danny Walcott, Matthew Joseph, and Jamel Smith, which is believed to be and there's, it's hard to find historical records on this, but it is believed to be the first time an NHL team has started a line with three black players on it. Pretty significant moment for the league for that to happen. Yeah, I think it is. And I, you know, kudos to John Cooper, who I think always has a pretty good feel for moments like that, whether it's playing a rookie right away or something to that occasion. I think he has a pretty good idea of, of what to do in those situations. You know what was funny about that is that... And, and by the way, congratulations to Daniel Walcott. Uh, yes. Regardless of the skin color, to get to the NHL after his path, pretty interesting story. And I it's, think he's... It's a great story. It really is. And I think he's he's had to really grind it. Didn't take the 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 most popular path to get to the NHL. But And, and the funny thing about Walcott... It, not funny, but it, what's interesting about these things is that, you know, a guy like him, you never know when you're going to be in the NHL again. And yep. to get that opportunity last night, you could tell he really wanted to take advantage of the moment, whether it was trying to stick up for Jan Ruta, getting 
uh, lit up and engaging in a fight, in a fight that he lost, but he, he certainly made the most of it. You know, I, I thought he had a, a shoot-first mentality. I mean, I, there were a lot of things you could tell he did that, you know, you, in the back of your mind, you were saying to yourself, all right, th- this is a guy who probably feels like, look, I may never get an opportunity like this again. And this is a, a tremendous achievement for me, and I'm going to make the most of it. And I thought he did that. But getting back to the the line of the three back black players starting the game, Kevin Weeks tweeted out, and I'm paraphrasing, something to the extent that something very positive is going to be happening to the yep. Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, history in the making. And I immediately started thinking when I read the tweet, I was like, what, what is he referring to? Because Kevin Weeks doesn't tweet breaking info too much but I feel like when he does it's pretty significant because it, I think he's pretty dialed in has some pretty good contacts around the league and, and this comes from like the trade deadline he has a pretty good idea of of when he tweets something it's going to happen and I started thinking about it. I'm like all right, what could it be and then I thought all right is is Daniel Walcott is he going to be making his debut that would be pretty cool is he talking and then I was like all right, let me go a step further here and so somebody tweeted at me and they said well great can you fill us in I didn't know at the time and I just tweeted out. I said, maybe this is going to be Walcott, Smith, and Joseph on the same line. Now, I didn't play, didn't say all three black players. I, I think you could probably, you, you could pick up on it, the fact that that's that's where I was headed. But he was right. He was right. And I, I thought that is a pretty significant moment. And I was trying to think of teams, uh, Eric, that had done something like that. And the only team that I can remember but they didn't skate at the same time because they were all goaltenders was the year Grant Fuhrer was in net for Calgary and I do believe there were two other black goaltenders on that roster and I believe and we have to go back and do some digging you remember um, is it Brathwaite Freddie Brathwaite, yep. Freddie Brathwaite was one of them. And I have to go back and look at who... Because I feel like I saw a documentary on it. That's why That's why it's fresh in my mind. It might have been weeks. It might have been weeks. I have to go back and look and see when they played together. But that honestly was the only... Like, there have been teams that have had two. And you can you can probably go down the list a little bit. But to have three... And to start the game was was pretty significant. Unfortunately, I think it was the only bright spot of the, for the Lightning that game. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But it was it was it was definitely a cool moment, and I think that can be an inspiration to a lot of black kids, minority kids, just in general. Because I think the game is growing. Yep. It's growing in states that typically aren't hockey powers that produce a lot of hockey talent, and I think going in the inner cities and Making things affordable, like equipment, would go a long way, too, because hockey is such an expensive sport. It is. I think you just have to get those kids early, you know, to want to play. Because we're seeing other... The unfortunate thing is we're seeing other sports decline when it comes to minority participation. I know baseball has been really on the decline when it comes to minorities playing. And baseball's trying to figure out how to include more. I think hockey's trying to to do things. I think the Lightning do a pretty good job of going to, you know, different schools and giving them the equipment, even if it's just street hockey, getting them to enjoy the game a bit and and make it an option. I think, and and what these guys did last night, 
certainly can be a very positive influence on kids that are thinking about maybe playing hockey that they maybe didn't anticipate playing just a couple of years ago. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I, I was sitting at the, uh, the the DMV or the tax collector's office on Monday with my son. My son's 16. He was <clears throat> getting his driver's license. So there goes God bless. Rates. God bless you. Oh. Um, but, you know, when, when I saw the, the, the Kevin Weeks tweet and, yeah. you know, I, the first thing I thought of was like you is like, oh, Walcott, for sure. That means he's going to make his NHL debut. And then somebody brought it to my attention that, hey, what about the possibility of Smith and Matthew Joseph being on the line? And as soon as you, I checked the, the active roster, because it was close to five o'clock, I saw that both Walcott and Smith were activated off the taxi squad. I said, "That's it. That's it. That's going to be great. These three guys are going to be on." A yeah. line. I didn't know they were going to start, but I knew that they, that meant that they were going to be on a line together. So I, I, I knew the significance of it right away once I figured it out. Uh, so it, it is really cool, and it was, it was really nice to hear. We got a chance to talk to Walcott and Matthew Joseph. I wish we could have talked to Jamel Smith, but um, you know the situations with the travel and everything kind of you know, gummied things up in terms of getting the availability, but to hear both of them talk about how they looked up to Jerome Ginla when he was in Calgary, specifically when he was a captain of the flames in particular and how much that meant to them to see another black player, a prominent black player on their television screen and, and speaking and how much that meant. And that's kind of where I think the biggest thing resonates with what happened last night to your point about uh, 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 kids of color, kids of minority, see that, understand that. And, and maybe, maybe if they thought that that door was closed to them before, maybe that opens up a door for them. And that is how you grow the game. That is how you um, bring diversity into the league uh, for a league. Let's face it is roughly about 95% white. Um, so I, I think it's a great moment. Uh, it's great that the lightning were able to do something like this. It's, it's great for those three players. And it was great for Walcott to be able to make his NHL debut in that moment as well. I mean, you never forget your NHL debut, but for him to be a part of a significant moment like that, I think is really going to resonate with him for years down the line. And it was great to see him in and his path to kind of bring it back to what you said. If people aren't familiar with it, he actually gave up hockey at one point. He went to try and play football and then went back to hockey again. And the route that he took, as he said, he played club hockey. He didn't even get into to minor hockey yeah. or mid hockey. He had to go the club hockey route to find a, get his, his path back. Drafted by the Rangers. He was actually traded. And this is the reason this trade has always stuck out with me. The trade actually happened with the New York Rangers during the 2015 conference finals. So you had the two teams battling to go to the Stanley Cup, make this minor league deal. And Walcott has been a big part of their minor league system ever since. And if anybody saw any of the comments coming out from former teammates of Walcott, specifically Luke Witkowski, Corey Conacher uh, in particular, Huge how much they yeah. loved the fact that Walcott got a chance to make his NHL debut. That's how much he has meant to this organization for what he's done at the minor league level as a leader. And, you know, they talk about how great of a guy he is in the locker room and everything. And there's a great story about Daniel Walcott, too, who I don't want to say he was adopted, but he has this relationship with this older couple in Syracuse where like he's helped them build a house and, and everything else. Like, it's just, he's just a great person. And to see him make his debut in the NHL to reach that moment, you could see how much it meant to him. And then you encapsulize everything else that went around it. I, I thought it was a great moment for the organization and those three players, especially. 
So in 99 and 2000, Fuhrer and Brathwaite were your goaltenders. Jerome McGinley was also on that team. So there were three black players on Calgary during that time. And so that would give you a little bit more backstory there. And so for me, that would be the last time that happened. Um, and I, I felt like I, I knew there were two goaltenders in Calgary. Grant Fuhrer probably doesn't resonate with a lot of people playing in Calgary because you think of Edmonton. But it, it, it did happen. So I, to me, that would be the last time it did happen. And that was in 99 and 2000. So, But back to Walcott, again, it kind of goes back to the the story of when will he, if he gets another opportunity to play in the league again. He has been so good for that organization. And this were, this is where it's valuable to have veteran AHL players help with some prospects. And it, yep. I always find it interesting, you pay those guys maybe a little bit more. You know, yep, maybe they're absolutely. not NHL or Z, but maybe... They're really valuable to your organization. You can only keep so many veterans on an NH- on an AHL team. But Walcott seems like a guy, if he stays healthy and he's relatively productive, he could have a nice career in this organization, yeah. uh, even if it's just mostly as an AHL player. He could make some pretty good money. You don't have to go over to Europe if you don't want to. And you know what? In a pinch, the Lightning may call him up every once in a while and, and have an opportunity to play. So I, I thought it was, a, from that standpoint, a really cool moment. And I think collectively, um, it's a it's another another way the league can look at certain examples and say, all right, you know what? We're growing the game. Might be slower than we anticipate, but I think a lot of sports that are truly dominated by, by one race. I mean, look at basketball. You could look on the other end, and you can look at the NHL here. It's just you have to make those inroads, and I think the the Lightning certainly have, and I think the NHL is is doing a better job of that, but there's still a lot of work to be done, and, you know, that, that takes time. Yeah, and, and again, this, this organization, too, in 2000, uh, so I'm going to try and reach into the recesses of my mind. I think it was the 2003 draft. I think it was in Nashville. I forget the exact date, so forgive me for that. But the Lightning were the first team that drafted a player out of uh, basically in the inner city program that the NHL put together when they drafted goaltender Gerald Coleman. Nice. Coleman did make it to the NHL. uh, Brief, very brief stint. uh, Actually uh, was called up late in the year, a couple years down the road. Came in in relief, and I think that might have been his only NHL appearance. Actually went on to win a, I I think it's the Clark Cup championship, the USHL um, championship. That's a good, Um, good nugget there. Not USHL. Uh, I, I the, the 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 ECHL. Jesus, ECHL with uh, Alaska. He actually won a, a championship with Alaska. You think Jesus uh, knows the ago. ECHL exists? Uh, he does. I'm sure he does. <laughs> why, why wouldn't he? <laughs> um, you know. So they they were they were an organization yes. even back then that that made those sort of inroads. Yeah, it's and then great. they kind of kind of bringing a couple other things. Uh, there was a, a line in the AHL this year with the Ontario Reign that had Akil Thomas, Quentin Byfield, who was a second pick in the draft of yeah. the LA King, and Devontae Smith-Pelly were on a line together oh, nice, in nice. Ontario earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to pull this nugget from uh, from our friend Ed Encina over at the Times. Uh, the Red Wings this year put three, had three players uh, in the lineup um, sorry, two players in Trevor Daly and Madison Bowie uh, and Giovanni Jav- Smith, who, by the way, is Jamel Smith's brother. Uh, so they had three players in the starting lineup. Uh, obviously, Daly and Bowie are our defensemen. Uh, and then uh, for the Atlanta Thrashers back in 2011, Evander Kane, uh, Evander Kane yeah. Anthony Stewart, Dustin Bufflin, and Johnny Oduya 
were in the starting lineup. Uh, again, two defensemen, two forwards. Um, Wait, they then, all played in one NHL. Is this AHL or NHL? That's NHL. That's the, that's the Thrashers. Uh, so this. So okay, the, so that, know, that's, that's 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 two forwards and two defensemen. That's history. That's I mean that's four. Yeah. Right. I mean yeah, that's, that's four that's players. A big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. It, it is. Um, you know, none of them. They weren't on the same line together. Obviously. No. No. But still, that's. And that's then it, I don't think they formed a line. But the Edmonton Oilers back in 2000, 2001-ish Hold on, let, had... me, let me think. Let me, let me think. Let's have fun. Okay. Um, Greer? Yep. Mike Greer. Um, was Georges Larocque? Georges Larocque. Um, goaltender? Give me, give me a position. Who am I missing? Uh, for, forward. Forward. I can give you a big hint if you want. Uh, give me a big hint. He's currently an analyst for NBC. Kevin Weeks. Nope. Oh, Anson Carter. Anson Carter. Yes. yes yep. Yes, yes. So they had three forwards nice, nice. Um, who were in, and, and they had a defenseman too as well. And his name escapes me off the top of my head. Um, so you know there there are instances of this in the past, but this was the first time that we can tell. Again, these are kind of hard to figure out from time to time, and the league doesn't necessarily keep records on this. And I think their database only goes back to 2010. Um, but as far as we know, this is the first time you've had three players of color on the same line to start a game and to play, obviously, as a line. And again, so a great moment for the league, yeah. great moment for the Tampa Bay Lightning to be a part of that. And, you know, uh, and, and, I, and I totally and wholeheartedly behind the line that John Cooper said is that the progress will be made when this isn't a story. Today, it's a story. Progress will be made when it's not a story, when it's just normal, when it's understood that it's just part of hockey and that's what it is. So I'm fully behind that line for sure. But it was great to see last night. Yeah, it was. And uh, more moments like that for sure. And why not? As you say, why not? Yep. Uh, what wasn't so nice to see was Tampa Bay's performance down in Sunrise in the final two games of the regular season. All they needed to do was pick up a regulation win. And actually, even going back to the the uh, final home finale against Dallas, all they needed was one regulation win in the final three games to secure home ice advantage. They didn't do it, so we know the series is going to start in sunrise. Um, but there's, you know, there's a couple of things that I take out of what we saw over the weekend. Uh, first of all, Saturday turned into a circus at some point. Uh, not the good kind, the, right? Not the good. The kind. quote, not no, definitely not the good kind. Um, with all the uh, extracurricular activity and all the misconducts handed out and all the quote-unquote message sending that was going on, uh, you kind of knew it was going to get to that point, especially when it got a little lopsided on the scoreboard because we see this. I mean, even go back to 2004, the Calgary Flames, if, if they, they had the mentality that if they couldn't beat you, they were going to beat you up. If they were losing a game in the playoffs, they were going to beat you up and send a message for the next game. So it's not a surprise that some of that uh, came out of that game. Temperature cooled a little bit from Monday's regular season finale. Obviously, a lot of players missing on both sides uh, of that game. Uh, but, I, I again, there's a lot of people or some fans, especially in my timeline, who are kind of rubbing their scar somewhere from what happened in 2019 and trying to equate the the last three games, particularly the final two games in Florida, and try and relate that that's how a playoff series is going to go. And Greg, just not the case. If they if whatever happens in this playoff series for either team is not because of what happened over this weekend, 
it doesn't matter. So are you going to sit here and tell me that Nashville has the inside edge over Carolina because of the Predators swept the two games from Carolina over the weekend? It's a different season. It's a different situation. The games played all this weekend have nothing to do with how games are going to be played in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I typically buy that. And I think with this Lightning team, I think we have said on this show, I know I have said, I think a lot of people forget that they're going to be getting Kucherov and Stamkos back for the playoffs. And we're not taking that into consideration when we've talked about Tampa Bay's up and down play over the last month, particularly offensively. This is a drastically different team without those two guys in the lineup filling the net. I think most teams would be that way. I think this team about a month ago knew they were going to be in the playoffs and mentally were waiting for the playoffs to start. I, f I firmly believe that. You can disagree with me if you want. You can agree with me if you want. I think it's human nature. I think it's also human nature coming off the of Stanley Cup. You understand what's at stake. Getting to the playoffs is the first hurdle. John Cooper alluded to that last night uh, or Monday night uh, during the press conference, and I agree with that. I also think these guys are human, and they understand that you know home ice advantage is nice, probably more so, I think, this year for the owners than it is for the team because of the gate revenue that is received. But I think for the team, a team that's this experienced in the playoffs, I'm not sure it's going to have a major impact in this series. I think these are two actually evenly matched teams. I think the edge goes to Vasilevsky in net. Although I think it is interesting, Ian. I don't know where you come down on this. Dave and I talked about this on the show the other day. Can you draw anything from the Panthers' success against Vasi this year? And I don't know if they have figured him out. But, I mean, stats are part of how we look into things, and the numbers aren't great for Vassy against Florida this year. Now, he's had some really good games, too, as Dave pointed out to me. But I am wondering, is that something you're going to be keeping an eye on, maybe more so than in previous playoff series, where the goaltending matchup, I think, typically slants in Tampa Bay's favor anyways. I think it does in this series, too. But I am curious to see how that matchup translates, because Vassy didn't have a great two games against Florida to end the season. And I don't think it's Florida figuring him out, but in fairness, you do have to look at the numbers and say, all right, is did something happen there? Were they just bad games on Vassie's part? Or do you think Florida is a bit better offensively than maybe we're giving credit for as well? Well, there's no doubt that the Florida Panthers are a much deeper team than they have been in the past, you know, and, you, you, they used to have to rely basically just on Barkoff and Huberto and, you know, maybe when Mike Hoffman was there and Dadenoff and obviously Dadenoff and Hoffman are gone. But, um, you know, this the the addition of Sam Bennett makes them a deeper team offensively. They can score. They have some high-end skill. Look, Florida's a very good team. Let's, let's understand that first and foremost. There's a reason they finished second in the league. There's a reason that I think three of the top five or six teams in the league are in the same division, Yeah. Um, you know, with Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida because they're all really good teams. Um, so uh, is, is there a concern? I mean, look, would it surprise me if Florida won this series? Not at all. But that's only because they're a good team. It's not going to be because of anything that, that Tampa Bay did down the stretch that put them in a bad situation. Uh, I, I think the, the numbers about Vasilevsky are interesting. Uh, I think that much like the team, you could tell his concentration level, his focus for those final two games were not a playoff level by any stretch of the imagination. You would like to think that along with a lot of the other veterans on this team that he understands when the puck drops for real – uh, this coming weekend, that it's a, it's a different mindset. It's, it's a different situation. I mean, he let in a couple of goals. You're like, 
yeah, that's not good. And then the gaff he had behind the net. That it looked like he was goal. playing catch with himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Along the board. I'm not sure where his concentration level was, but it definitely was not where it needed to be. So uh, if that gets to the level that we know Andre Vasilevsky can get to, I don't think there's a major concern. The only concern that you would have with this team is the injury situation because of who missed the game. So and we don't even know. And, and you know, most of them are listed as day-to-day. But we don't know the extent of the injuries. John Cooper said, I'll answer those questions once we get back to practice, getting ready for the playoffs. So we don't have those answers as we sit here and discuss today. But Ryan McDonough left Friday's game against the Dallas Stars in the third period, missed the two games. They yeah. sat Victor Hedman out. And there's the report, of course, <clears throat> that he's going to requ- have to require surgery. And, you know, we look for reasons why his play is do you dipped. Buy that? that might be one of them. By the way, do you buy that report? I, coming from Chris Johnson, absolutely, I do. Okay, so if you and I do too, if you buy that report, do you think it's a little peculiar they didn't try and rest Hedman throughout the year? In other words, yeah, yes, if you're no. going to come out and say he's going to need surgery, and obviously Chris found that information, and I, I agree with you, I, I believe it. This season is about getting to the playoffs. I think we both agree. I mean, you'd like to finish first, but so what? I mean, I, I've I'm not a huge fan of. You need home ice advantage with this team. I think this team's experienced enough. They can win on the road. And all it takes is one game on the road in this series to start. And all of a sudden, home ice goes back to Tampa Bay. So I, I, I don't buy that. But understanding it's about protecting your players in a condensed schedule. I mean, we had this conversation with Vassy and his workload and ended up working out really well. They, they clearly did a great job of making sure he got enough rest. It's a peculiar decision. If your most important player outside of Vassy in Victor Hedman has the type of injury that is going to require surgery at the end of the year, that you wouldn't try and rest him a bit here and there, knowing that you were going to the playoffs. I, I'm sorry. I, I find that interesting, a little peculiar. I, I really do. Well, you notice it, he didn't rest him until the, the it was locked in. They were playing Florida. Yeah. So there's probably some reason behind that. Um, you know, look, it, and if it's something he's going to have to play through, it, it's given being around this team as long as I have, I get the sense that with this situation, he obviously is not going to hurt himself anymore because that's when you start to get into, okay, he needs to sit out situation because we've seen plenty of players in the past play through situations they know we're going to require surgery. I mean, Brayden Point did that right like in in uh, 2019 he was he had hip problems throughout the uh, good portion of the season and then had the surgery just after they were eliminated from the playoffs so we see this quite a bit so it's not a surprise to me that the players go through this if there was risk of further injuring the situation that's when they would step in and say okay you need to sit out um as it is now i think they knew that it was probably going to be a, a week at least before they started the playoffs because of the schedule situation so I think that they just looked at that and say, Victor, just take these two games off. If we get home ice, great. If we don't, just take the additional six, seven days and get a rest. So the thing is, is that it, obviously his play has dropped. There's no doubt about that. I, I think that that's where you have to look at. So it's affecting him. I think it's. I think that's pretty clear. His production certainly dropped. But in terms of rest, do they need to do it earlier? Again, if there's no risk of further injury, he's it's something he's going to have to deal with in the playoffs. Yeah, and rest necessarily wouldn't, you know, give him a huge advantage. I guess. Fact. I guess my thing is, if if you're saying to me he's going to need surgery at the end of the year, 
there is a risk that he would have played during the regular season. And what if he needed surgery right away? You understand well, what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I don't, I, I get what you're saying. It, it makes sense what you're saying. And that maybe the injury c- couldn't get worse and that they were just going to wait to the, but what if it did? Like, what if he took a hit somewhere and instead of waiting to the off season, because you got hit, you needed that surgery right away because something was dislodged. I don't know what the injury is. Obviously, we're speculating. Yeah. Um, and I actually think more of Hedman's issues this year were more mental than physical. I mean, you could have watched him play and said, yeah, physically, there's just something. I thought his decision-making is what really stood out for me is why his play yeah. declined. Mental fatigue. Now, is that because he was injured and maybe he was compensating? Maybe. I don't I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. That That was my argument or my thinking is that, man, if you're telling me somebody needs surgery at the end of the year and that the injury can't get worse, well, the injury obviously can always get worse. It takes us one hit. And then all of a sudden you go from, yeah, he could play through it to, well, you know what, he something happened there. We need we need to get this done ASAP. Kind of rope hints. I mean, he needed surgery at the end of the year. He played through that, but they gave him some time in between games. Like he didn't start playing back to back games till I mean, he he really kind of gamed it through there towards the end because they needed him. Um, and they kind of really monitored his injury. I w- I'm just I'm surprised. It, it worked out. I mean, obviously it worked out. He, they they got through it. He got however many days off heading into the playoffs. I'm just saying that to me, it was a little bit more of a risk than we're letting on because, you know, something could have happened to make that injury maybe worse than it was. And uh, I think they dodged a bullet, in my opinion. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Well, but again, they, they understand what the injury is, and they go off of all the medical information they have. If there was a risk of injury, he would have been held out, like a further injury. Of course, you, look, you, anytime you play the game, there's always a risk of further injury. You know, again, without knowing what it is, all we know is that it's lower body. You know, and, and you can judge from the hit he took and how hard he went into the boards and yeah. how, you know, he wasn't putting any weight, I think, on his right leg as he made his way to the locker room in that game against Columbus at the end of March. You know, so you can kind of speculate and give some thoughts on where right. it might be. It, it might be a hip issue. It might be the same thing that Nikita Kucherov and Brayden Point went through and Yanni yeah. Gord went through. It could easily be that considering how hard he went in the boards. So if that's what it is, we know that you're not going to further damage anything in the hip. It, you might ha- endure more pain, but in terms of risking further damaging the situation, I don't think, you know, based on the medical information that they have, they would not have put him out there. You've heard me say it before. This organization errs on the side of caution when it comes to injuries. You know, you'll see them sit players out maybe an extra few days, an extra few games until they get, you know, additional rest. They always err on that side of caution. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the yeah, doubt. for sure, for sure. This situation with Victor Hedman. And to bring up something, you know, you mentioned the home ice. This is a big reason why I don't think home ice matters to this team. First of all, they're deep enough in the matchup situations that they have that you don't worry about who you put out on the ice against who in, in certain situations. They don't get too caught up in the matchup game except for defensive uh, pairings. Here's a stat. Go back to the playoff bubble, and I know it was neutral ice, but we all talk about how last change is the advantage. In the playoff bubble last year, and this does include the three round-robin games they played, we know that Tampa Bay had quote-unquote home ice advantage in every series they played, correct? Yes. In the 14 games 
that they were designated as the home team. So last change is in their favor. In those 14 games, you know what their record was? Tell me. Eight and six. They played 11 games as the designated road team. Again, this is the playoff bubble. Designated road team. In those 11 games, you know what their record was? Tell me. 10 and one. Beautiful. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, I mean, it matters, but it's not a huge deal. So for everybody saying, oh, they don't want home ice. Would they have liked home ice? Of course. I think John Cooper said it. You want, you want that home ice for your owner because you're going to have fans in the stands. But it doesn't matter to the team on the ice. Do you think it matters it more to a team like the Florida Panthers who doesn't have as much playoff experience as Tampa Bay that maybe well, it, needs that a bit more than the Lightning? Like, are they going to do they need the matchup more to get Barkoff in a situation where he can make a difference more so than Tampa Bay, who you feel might be more deep, has maybe more experience in those situations and can navigate their way through the playoffs? by not necessarily having home ice to their advantage. So here's, here's the interesting situation. Uh, look, you have a, a hugely successful coach in Joel Quenville behind the bench. So, you know, he, he's an X factor in terms of how they can deal with that situation. I think any other coach, though, many coaches will tell you, many of them probably privately more than publicly, they would actually rather start a playoff series on the road. And in this situation where you have a Florida team, look, there are now expectations on this Florida team, which they really haven't had in really their existence, let's be honest. There are going to be 50% capacity for the first few games down in Sunrise. So the, the crowd increase is going to be, it'll be somewhere around 10,000, 9, 10,000, whatever their number is going to end up being. There is actually the pressures on the home team in those situations is because a you're expected to win because you're the home team. And then there's a thought process that you want to perform in front of your home fans. And this is something John Tortorella said back in 2003, when the lightning started that first series against the capitals at home, they were over amped to start the playoffs because they, a lot of the players really hadn't been in that situation before right. you had Andrew Shucks and you had Taylor's, but you know, like Cavalier and St. Louis and Brad Richards and Dan Boyle, you know, the core, the nucleus of that team had never been in the playoffs. And they were so ramped up to play a playoff, it cost them. They ended up losing those first two games at home. So for a younger team, I, I think the pressure of playing at home is different than a veteran team playing on the road. And, and I think that's why home ice is not a situation where it's going to bother you know, this lightning team at all, assuming that they're healthy. Look, we're expecting Stamkos to be ready. We're expecting Nikita Kucherov to be ready. We're expecting Hedman and McDonough to be ready. Andre Palat, who sat out Monday's game, to be ready. The only one we don't really have a good feeling about is Barkley Goodrow. When they came out and said that he was out indefinitely, it's not a good sign. It wasn't a day-to-day -day situation, so we have to expect that he won't be available to start this series, but we expect provided everything goes well, especially with the big gap, that everybody's going to be healthy. Everybody else is going to be healthy. And that's a situation that's advantaged Tampa Bay. Yeah. And I think one thing is for sure, we're going to see Ross Colton probably in the lineup. That's a good thing. Uh, even though if, if Goodrow can't go, it may be at the expense of him. I think it's also a time for guys to reset a little bit and use the playoffs as a new beginning. Guys like Sorelli, yep. guys like Johnson, maybe to a lesser extent, Mikhail Sergachev. These are guys who can make big impacts on this team, and I think they really can look at the postseason as kind of new life. I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do, 
and I agree with you. I don't mind starting on the road. I actually think, though, this year, more than any other year for the owners, having home ice advantage yeah. is a bigger deal. <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge deal you for the mean? owners. I think in Bring that, in that instance. Yeah, it, actually, you could probably say, what's a bigger deal this year, home ice advantage and getting the right matchup or the gate revenue? I think gate revenue is probably oh, more important. Sure. And, and I mean, it's it's maybe sure. might make the case every year, <laughs> but this year I think especially. There's a reason Nashville is going to have twelve thousand people in their building. Pack it all in, first, baby. Pack it all the games in against Carolina in the first round. Pack it all in. Trying to make up, and I'm sure the ticket prices are a little. Hey, you know what? Uh, they, uh, elevated. People are going to pay for it. I think people are ready yeah. for something yeah, like this. See, I think people are ready. I agree with that. And and before we get to questions, I, I want to bring up your point about Anthony Sorelli. Yeah. I, I thought about this last night. I'm watching Anthony Sorelli, and, and I've said this before. Players who hit that first quote-unquote contract tend to struggle for whatever reason in the first year of that contract. And I'm going to make the comparison to Yanni Gord. Remember how bad Yanni Gord struggled last year offensively? Ooh, 30 games absolutely. without a goal. Didn't even have the energy to celebrate when he finally snapped that streak with an overtime goal in Pittsburgh. Yeah. What kind of a playoff did he have? He was amazing. I think, he had, his, I think he had as many goals in the playoffs as he did in the regular season. He was somewhere fantastic. in that neighborhood. He was fantastic. I get the feeling that Anthony Sorelli is going to be in that same boat. Because I've, I've just, just the way I've seen Sorelli play here the last week or so, we've seen him reestablish his, his ability to get in on the puck and win puck battles. That's a big part of his game. How many posts and crossbars has he hit? Here in that's this little stretch, it's at least three or four. He's had some really good scoring chances. I can see Sorelli being this year's Yanni Gord in terms of breaking free from a disappointing offensive year in the regular season and taking a step and pushing it into the postseason and and turning things around and going back to a line that that Jeff Halpern gave Yanni Gord last year when he said that what was the year Claude Lemieux won the Conn Smythe? I think he had like six goals in the regular season. Went on to win the Conn Smythe. You're right. So, you know, those, it's it, there's a reason we call it the second season. And it's for instances like that. You can push whatever happened in the regular season behind you, go out and perform in the postseason, and that's where, you know, that's that's where you make your name is how do you perform in the postseason. We saw it last year. He had a couple of huge goals. You know, I think the game five against Columbus, the tying goal with a little over a yep. minute to go. Obviously, the overtime winner against the Islanders in the conference finals. I, I see Anthony Sorelli being this year's Johnny Gordon taking a step forward in the playoffs. Well, if they do, then if that does happen, uh, this Lightning team is going to be really hard to beat because he is yep. he's a little bit of an X factor, not only defensively, but I think there's a lot more there offensively. And playoff hockey, it's cliche, but they, they say guys like Sorelli, that's more of his game, grinding it, being physical, going to the front of the net. I, I, I agree with you. I need to see it, but I agree with you. All right, before, uh, let's get to some questions here before we uh, wrap things up. Again, we still don't know when the playoffs are going to start as we sit here recording this, but I, I would venture to think maybe Sunday might be game one, uh, depending on when people are listening to this. But I was able to get in some uh, last-minute questions here, Greg, so let's, let's get to them. Um, from Pat, uh, what's the call-up situation this year, whether it be Black Aces squad or a taxi squad, pretty much going to be that this year. Uh, once you get into the postseason, A, there's no salary cap situation, so you don't have to worry about salary cap. Um, you you can still you have your quote-unquote black aces. That won't, the taxi squad actually goes away for the postseason. 
Now, Syracuse, their season, I think their last game is Saturday. Uh, was it the 15th, 16th? My math is really bad. Uh, their last game is coming up this weekend. You'll see players come up. You'll see Taylor Radish. You'll see Boris Kuchuk. You'll see Cal Foot. All those players that are with the crunch make their way to be a part of the quote-unquote Black Aces squad when they get here. Um, so that's the situation with the call-ups. Yes, there will be Black Aces. And there's no playoffs in the AHL this year except for the teams in the West Division. So once Syracuse's season is over, they're free and clear, and Tampa Bay can call up whoever they want because there's no roster limits either. Yep, no roster, and there's no cap, right? So you can bring up whoever you want, basically. Whoever you want. Yeah. Uh, second part of Pat's question, uh, any insight to exiling the foot to Syracuse? I don't know if I called him exile. Uh, I know his last game was not exactly spectacular, but it seems there must be something else to get uh, to keep him from getting caught up with all the defensive injuries they have had. Uh, he sat for so long for cap reasons. That's the reason why you saw Luke Shen in the lineup uh, as much down the stretch because it was starting with the first game after the trade deadline, after the acquisition of David Savard, that you saw Shen in the lineup on a more consistent basis. A lot of that was cap-related. Uh, and then the game he did get in in Chicago, he did not look very good. I think that told them that Cal Foot had to get some games in and the cap was not going to allow – that situation. So that's why they sent him to Syracuse and actually called up Ben Thomas. And the other thing, and part of that too, is you've gotten a good look at Cal foot. You need to get a look at Ben Thomas because he's actually scheduled to be a group six free agent that Ben Thomas. And that basically to break that down means if you don't play a required amount of NHL games, by the time you reach a certain age in your contract and Thomas is at that age, you can opt to become an unrestricted free agent. Uh, so that's, so, you know, you, you want to get a read on Ben Thomas and do you think he can do anything for you in the future? Does he have an opportunity in this organization? So that's part of it as well. So I wouldn't call Cal foot getting exiled. I would say Cal foot needed to go play and he needed to play some big minutes. Yeah. And does he get an opportunity to play in the playoffs? I don't know. I think Luke Shen, assuming roots is ready to go. Is that guy who would be next up and, you know, foot maybe is after him, but who knows? Uh, regardless, uh, an opportunity for him to play down in the minors, and he got some valuable NHL experience, and now I think practicing with the guys during the playoff time I think will be beneficial to his progress next year for sure. Just as it was in the pre-camp, uh, pre-bubble camp yeah, last right. year when Foot got an opportunity sure. to play here. Um, here's one from Tenaciously Lee. How much of the day-to-day injuries do you feel is just game gamesmanship on John Cooper's part? I wouldn't call it gamesmanship per se. I would call it just taking advantage of the situation to, you know, rest some guys that are banged up. I mean, the the roster that the Boston Bruins put on the ice Tuesday night, they sat out 14 guys, right? 14 guys, including That's Bergeron okay. and Pasternak. That's okay. We're not playing. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, if you right. can get away with it, if you can do it, you should do it. And I think that's part of the, I think it's a big reason why Andre Pollock didn't play in the season finale and everything. So I, again, I wouldn't call it gamesmanship. I would just call it taking advantage of an opportunity to rest some guys. Yeah. And I think it goes back to some points we've talked about. If a team has an opportunity to rest some players at the end of the year, will they do it? And I, I think this year, more than any other year, we've seen some teams do that. I, I agree with that thinking, by the way, you know, your team is ready to go to the playoffs and there's nothing to play for. Even if you want to superficially talk about home ice, I think you do it. And uh, I think the lightning have an opportunity to be as healthy as they possibly can under these circumstances heading into the playoffs. I think that's a positive thing we probably should be looking at a bit more. I agree. Uh, From Meg, 
<clears throat> do you worry about rust for Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos? Yeah, of course you do. Of course it's, you do. To me, I mean, it's not a, it's, to me, that's not a big concern, Russ. They're elite players. I don't think it's going to take much for them to get their quote-unquote feel back for the game. The, the one thing that you worry about is being in hockey shape. That's to me, and, and John Cooper even um, mentioned that when he was asked about it. You know, these guys just need to get in hockey shape, hockey conditioning. You can't do that without games. It's a little difficult. You'll see, I'm sure, some scrimmages uh, in a couple of days leading up to the start of the playoffs to kind of give them that feel for it again. Uh, but in terms of rust, I'm not overly concerned about these elite players getting their game back. I just worry about how many minutes can they handle coming out of it in a, in a playoff intensity situation because it's obviously expand a little bit more energy in these situations than you can do in the regular yeah, season. Yeah, I, I think for me, how they take a hit, how does their body respond to the grind? I mean, how quickly does Nikita Kucherov regain his magic with the puck? I think the power play can get them acclimated to the speed of the game a little quicker, maybe, because there's a little more space out there for them to work their magic. But I, I think it's reasonable to say, you know what? Look, I don't. is it fair to say Kucherov and Stamkos are going to be at max capacity when they start? Probably not. I think we have to be fair there. How quickly, though, E, do they get back to being the player we know they can be is the question. Do they even get there? I, I think those are fair questions to ask. But I do think having them on the ice by default, is going to make their line mates better because you now have to account for Kucherov and Stamkos even if they're not at 100% per se because of the respect factor regarding their skill set. Yep, I agree. Uh, we'll find out here soon, though. The answers will come sometime in the next week. Uh, from Connor, who do you see stepping up and being a big part in carrying the team deep into the playoffs? Um well, 86, uh, assuming he's healthy, he's obviously going to be a huge boost. But I, I guess I, the way I read this question is who do we not expect to maybe step up? You know, that's not part of that elite group. We talked about Sorelli and what the potential he has. How about Blake Coleman? You know, Blake Coleman yeah. had a good end to the regular season in terms of his production. I think he ended up with 13 or 14 goals, uh, which would have put him on a 20-goal pace for a full regular season. Um, I, I think he's a guy that can can step up uh, and 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 provide some offense from that third line. We, we know how effective that third line was in the playoffs. Again, not knowing the health of Barclay Goodrow, uh, but we know how effective they were not just in matching up and and being a line that started basically every single period, which we've seen a lot this year. But I think Coleman, with his forecheck, with his uh, ability to get in on the puck and his offensive capabilities, I think he's a guy. If you're talking about outside the normal that can step up and provide some big moments for this team. I would agree. I'm going to go defense and I'm going to go Mikhail Sorgachev. I think when we talk about playoffs being hard to score and generating shots from the point, I think Sorgachev has been a little bit off this year, getting shots through and getting them on net, but he has the ability to be a game changer back there. I'm looking for him to have a big playoff. In addition to some of the guys we've talked about earlier in the show, for me, Sorgachev, he's got the talent to do it. And uh, I'm hoping that's the case for the Lightning. Yep. And maybe those two goals he scored towards the end of the season will be something yeah. to kind of give him a little bit of confidence going in. Uh, from right, um, Ross Colton won't be replace Barclay, Barclay Goodger on the third line, but I like the pairing of Coleman, Gord, and Col um, Colton 
do you think that's a possibility in the playoffs? Well, I, I think there's a reason that they put him on that line yeah. for Monday's game. There's to a see chance. If it works, to see if it fits. Yep. If you know that Goodrow is going to miss some time, and it, it appears as if he's going to, um, I think that's absolutely a possibility to start and see where things go. Uh, yeah, it's hard to read too much into what the performance on, on Monday night, uh, but we know how good Gorjo and uh, Gorjo. You can call know, him. That's, right? a, that's actually a good name. Call him Gorjo. <laughs> Combining <laughs> names here. Um, you can tell the lack of sleep that yeah, I have. Um, yeah. But we know that we know the chemistry that Gorjo or uh, got to do it again. You just Gordon. call him Gorjo. Call him Gorjo and just, I'm just a, end it I'll just call that. him that line. Yes, that line. You know, the chemistry. The chemistry line. that line has, yes. uh, you know, and the two that are still there, we know the chemistry they have and Colton will be somebody that plays a good down low game. And we've heard John Cooper talk about that. And I think that's a, a, a part of the reason why we saw him out there uh, with Goudreau out for uh, the regular season finale. Well, that's true. And I think maybe the better question is where does Tyler Johnson fit in? Cause I think Colton has really meshed well with the fourth line. Johnson has kind of been hit or miss on some lines. He, he shows flashes. Then it's like, all right, where is he? Maybe that's the question we have to be asking. Well, it, it, with, even with all the injuries in Monday's game, he basically played the fourth line center role. I think that's a hint. Yeah. I think that's a hint. Uh, Fabio checking in from Italy. Fabio, nice. thanks as always for listening and reading. I uh, hope you're well, my friend. Um, we'll miss Barclay Goodrow for the playoff run of Big Body. Do you think there's somebody else who could replace Barclay in the right way? I don't know. There's a reason they went out and got Barclay Goodrow because they didn't really have anybody on their roster or in their organization to play the type of game that Goodrow plays. Uh, we know how great of a penalty killer he is. So if Colton gets that chance, he's not necessarily a bigger body, but he does have that tenacity, that down low style of game. But in terms of anybody else in the organization on the roster that could play that type of game, I don't think there's anybody that plays it like Barclay does because that's why they went out and gave up a first round draft pick to get him. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think you're going to have to look within and guys on that roster, whoever maybe goes up on that line. You know, that's why I think Ross Colton is intriguing. Maybe he doesn't have the, the same physicalness as Goodrow does, but I think his hands are better, and uh, he has the speed. So I think he would be, for me, the initial guy you would look at to see if he can replace him. All right, a couple more here to close it out uh, from Champa Bay. Both the uh, Lightning and the Panthers had a lot of scratches these last couple of games. So would you even consider them a preview of round one, or do you think we're going to see totally different teams in game one? Uh, without question, totally different teams. We've mentioned the difference between regular season, even in this unique situation, playing each other twice in the final weekend before the playoffs start means nothing. It, it has no bearing on how the games are going to play out uh, once the playoffs start. So I, I don't think it's an issue uh, for me. Um, from SBL champions, do you think the lightning will flip the switch against the Panthers come Saturday? If it's Saturday, Sunday, it's not about flipping a switch. It's just having the right focus. It's having the right mentality. And I think that this lightning team having, coming off a championship understands now the lessons they learned from 19, how they put them to use in 2020, uh, I think will be there in, um, come this weekend. Uh, last two, uh, one from Mike. This is an expansion question. Heard we can keep one goalie, seven forwards, and three defensemen out of the expansion draft. It's actually seven forwards and three defensemen or eight skaters and one goalie. So um, that's the situation with that. Also heard some players have contracts stating they cannot be put out for the draft. Those are the guys with no-move clauses. Those are Stamkos, that's uh, Kucherov, and Hedman. 
And Vasilevsky doesn't kick into next year, but that's not really a concern. Right. So there are certain guys who are automatically protected unless they choose not to be. Um, so that's the expansion issue. We'll know about that in July. Who do we keep and does anyone have that type of contract? Uh, we, we know that there's going to be a ton of good players exposed. Um, you know, we'll, we can get more into that a little bit later down the line in terms of who they uh, might lose. But uh, the Lightning are going to lose a, a pretty good player no matter who it is unless they work out some type of right. deal. But, you know, we've had that. Which I don't think they should do, by the way. I, I agree with you. I, I don't agree. think they should. I think you just let Seattle take whoever Seattle is yep. going to take and deal with it from yep. there. Uh, last one from LGRO21, LGJRO21. Who was the other alternate captain on Monday with Hedman, McDonough, and Goodrow out? Um, it was actually. Uh, I don't know the answer to this question. Well, you know, I do. I do. Alex Kalorn, who was worn the A for a good portion of the year, if not all year. And then uh, the other one was Sorelli. And actually, in Saturday's game with Hedman and McDonough out, it was actually Sorelli and Goodrow. I was going to say, I remember Goodrow. Yeah. The previous game. Yeah. So those are the, there were only two. You can have three, but they only put an A on two players, Sorelli and Kalorn, for the game on Monday. So always interesting to see what they do when players are out uh, in terms of those who wear leadership letters. All right, uh, Greg, um, great questions as always. Great conversation as always. And uh, I can't wait to do more of this as we get started with the playoffs, uh, a little bit more frequent in terms of how we're going to do this. And I'm already looking forward to it, my friend. Can't wait, buddy. Playoff time. It's the most <laughs> wonderful time of the year. Close it the right way and start it the right way. That's and it. that is a good, good thing. All right. Uh, again, make sure you check out Greg on Lightning Power Play weekdays from 12 to 1 with Dave Michigan on Power Lunch. And, of course, as part of all the radio broadcasts, I'll have complete coverage on lightninginsider.com in the coming days leading up to game one. And, of course, throughout the playoffs, however long it lasts. Thanks, everybody, as always, for the questions. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate, review, share it, everything you got to do. Let your friends, let your family, even let Panthers fans know that it's out there for your listening enjoyment. So until our next podcast, see you then. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.